0: Morning, Oakwood. So glad you're here today. Uh, Tell you what, if that doesn't uh, get you going, we're going to check your pulse. Hey, how about that flag football game that was played yesterday at Stillwater, you know? I get, if you're not familiar with flag football, that's where you don't actually tackle anybody. You just pull the flag or, or you say, hey, you're down. I think that's what happened, happened yesterday. There's always a winner and a loser, and uh, I think the only loser, maybe both losers, were the defense. So there wasn't much, much hitting going on on either side where the Hey, let's jump right in. Uh, We're going to talk today about the sin of prejudice and racism. Sin of prejudice and racism. I've been told that the eyes are the window to the soul. And I did a little research this week, and I found out that biologically, we are all created with either blue eyes or brown eyes, okay? Now, there's a lot of different shades of, of eye color, but they're all either brown or blue. Now, I have blue eyes, and I like blue eyes, and in fact, I like everybody that has blue eyes. Hold up your hand if you have blue eyes. Okay, and let's do something. Just, why don't we just stand up, okay? If you have blue eyes, just stand up and remain standing. All right, now I want you to look around at all of those people that are sitting down that have brown eyes, okay? They're not like us, Okay. Okay, stay, stay standing. Okay, we're going to make some rules today that those that have blue eyes, they get to sit in the front part of the auditorium. Those that have brown eyes will have to go to the back, okay? In fact, we're going to go on further with these rules that the bathrooms at the back of the auditorium, they don't get brown eyes don't get to use those, okay? They have to go over to the oak, to the gymnasium, and use the ones upstairs on the track. And the water fountain out here they can't drink out of that either, okay? So they have to go over to the gym and in between the weight rooms, there's a little water fountain that nobody even knows it's there. That's the water fountain that they can use, okay? Because we have blue eyes and you know, blue's the color of the sky. You guys can sit down now. Blue's the color of the sky and brown's the color of what? Dirt and other dirty things. So you know, that makes us special, right? Uh, Isn't that about the dumbest, stupidest thing you've ever heard? To judge somebody on the color of their eyes? And I want to tell you, I don't believe that. I don't mean any of that. Some of the most wonderful people I know have brown eyes, but we would never judge people solely on the color of their eyes. But some of us do that based on the color of someone's skin, or the amount of money that they have, or the type of clothing they wear, the language that they have, or maybe the accent in which they speak that, or what side of the town they are from, or maybe their age. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans, and that's one of those movies, if I'm Flipping through the channels, trying to find something to watch, and that movie's on. I always stop and watch it. That's a great movie. And if you haven't watched it, I'm going to recommend it. But there's a, basically, what it is, is it's right at the beginning stages of the desegregation of schools. And the T.C. Williams School decides it's going to desegregate, or maybe the school board decided, or the state, somebody, but they integrate black and white students. And now, all of a sudden, they're going to have a black and white football team. And Coach Boone takes these young men, before they even practice, off to Gettysburg College for a camp. And you can just tell right from the get-go, they're not getting along. They don't sit with each other at the tables. They don't, you know, anything. And Coach Boone tried and tried and tried to get them to do that. And finally, in the middle of the night... He takes them on a long run, blows a horn, gets them out of bed, and like, okay, we're going on this long run, and they're all exhausted, and they end up in the middle of the battlefield where the Gettysburg battle was fought. And he tells them a history lesson. He said, right on this field, we had brothers fighting brothers, states fighting states, relatives and families fighting each other with hatred and prejudice in their heart. And men spilled their blood right here where you're standing because of hatred in their heart. And men, if we don't come together as a team, we're going to destroy each other very much like what happened here hundreds of years ago. Well, eventually they did come together, but it it took some time to get there. A great movie. I, I encourage you to watch that. But throughout history, lives and families, countries have been devastated by prejudice. Wars have been fought. And I want to tell you, it's one of the hottest topics in America right now. One of the worst things that you could call somebody today is a racist. And so it's affecting just about every aspect of our life today. And for the most part, we tend to ignore it. I'm not going to get political at all this morning, but we're going to get scriptural, okay? So we're going to leave the, the politics to somebody else. But I want, to, want you to listen. The spiritual disease of prejudice and racism has no place in the church or no place in the hearts and lives of Christian people, amen? amen. And the sin of pre- prejudice simply means that we prejudge someone. We make a decision based upon their skin color. We make a decision based upon their affluence, their money, or we judge them before we even begin to know them. We make a judgment on them before we get all the facts. Proverbs 24, verse 23 says To show partiality and judging is not good. Well the most common form of prejudice is racial prejudice. Now, we may think that you know racial prejudice is it's just a black white issue. It goes way beyond that. And we think sometimes it's only an American problem. It's even bigger than that. This week in baseball, I don't know how many baseball fans there are here, but the Houston Astros first baseman who is born and raised but defected from Cuba, I think, in 2013, hit a home run off of Hugh Darvish, the pitcher for Los Angeles Dodgers, who was born and raised in a Japanese citizen. And when he got to the dugout, he was sitting there in the privacy of his dugout, but unfortunately it was on national TV, and he just did this. And it was caught on camera, and a, a, a firestorm erupted, and this uh, first baseman for the Houston Astros was suspended for five games. But it won't happen until next year without pay. Well, okay, now I want you to think about this. Neither one of these guys are American. Neither one of these guys speak English. They both have to speak through interpreters. You see, it's not just a white-black issue. It's not just an American issue. And I don't know what you're thinking, Alan, what do you really know about racism? Well, let me tell you what I know about racism. I grew up in a town of Lamar, Missouri, and Lamar is as white as white can be. A town of about 4,000 people. I mean, it was snow white. Didn't know anything about colored people until I got to go with the Little League teams to Kansas City. That was before Kauffman Stadium was built. And they would load us up in the buses. All right, kids, you guys are going to the big city. And you're going to see some people different than you are. Now, just stay together. Don't look at them. Don't talk to them. Just go into the ball field. You know, cheer on the Royals. And away we go. Okay. Then when I got into junior high, our little town of Lamar, Missouri, traveled to Joplin to play Joplin South junior high. Okay. We were an all- white team playing an all-black team, and guess what? I learned some things about athletics and basketball that day. They whooped us pretty good. And then my brother went off to college, and he brought home over Thanksgiving break a guy by the name of Freddie Tompkins. Freddie was a black guy, one of the coolest people I'd ever been around. As far as I knew, the only black guy that had ever come into our home. But my family embraced him, and they loved him. And I found out that he's just like us, except he was a lot cooler than me. And I really liked him. And then, as an adult, I get to form my own decisions about racism. I referee college basketball, and yesterday the crew that I worked with, I was the only white guy on that crew. And and both of these guys are brothers in the Lord, and I told them what I was preaching about, and we we discussed this. And they said, it's not just an American problem, it's not just a white or a black problem, it's a human problem. It's a human problem. And I said, have you guys ever experienced racism? Now, I want to tell you, both of these guys both drive Mercedes. They're both respected, you know, sharp fellas. I said, have you guys ever experienced racism? And they said, yes, we have. And they shared with me some examples of racism that they'd experienced. As an adult, though, I get to make my own choice about how I'm going to raise my family. And we have had many black students into our home, not African-American because I've had South African students, a student from the Bahamas, some from the United States but different countries, and we've embraced and we've loved people without color. What do I know about racism? I have a uh, multiracial family, a biracial uh, family that, you, you know, I have biracial grandchildren. So I know a little bit about racism. And it's not just a black-white issue. It's a, it's a heart, it's a human issue. I watched one time a documentary about Auschwitz. The most famous... Uh, concentration camp where there were literally thousands and thousands of jews men women and children lost their life not based on a skin color because they were basically all white but it was an issue on race you see hitler decided that he wanted to wipe out the jews and he wanted to build a superior race the pulse nightclub shooting wasn't about a black-white issue, it was about a gender issue and hatred in somebody's heart. The church shooting in Charleston, South Carolina was based on race hatred. Killing after killing is because of hatred in our hearts. Fifty-four years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King says, I have a dream to be judged by the color not by the color of the skin, but by the content of a person's character. And I believe we've been fighting that war ever since. Another form of prejudice is financial prejudice. Read with me in James chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine Clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, the word favoritism here literally means to show partiality. Now, James isn't saying it's wrong to honor people who've deserved to be honored. And he's not saying there's anything wrong with being wealthy or accumulating some, some riches. He's condemning the practice of judging people by what they do or what they don't have. Another type of prejudice is a social prejudice. And I like to call this kind of prejudice social or people blindness. People blindness. That's where we look past or beyond someone. You see, Jesus healed a man that was born blind and the disciples asked, who sinned? Was it this man's parents, his mom or dad? And Jesus had to correct that line of thinking. You see, at that time they connected having a physical affirmity with a spiritual condition. And that was a common way of thinking, but Jesus cleared that up. He said, it wasn't either one, it was so that I can show my glory. Maybe we don't associate disabilities with sin anymore, but we're often just as likely to look down upon people that have disabilities or experience people blindness that we just look past them or beyond them. We don't acknowledge them as people. Maybe we get impatient with people who can't walk as quickly as we do. Or we feel superior to those that maybe have a certain disability or hesitant to make physical contact with someone who has a deformity. Marianne Byrd, in her book, The Whisper Test, says what it was like growing up with a cleft palate. And she wrote, My classmates made it clear to me how I looked. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. I was convinced that no one outside of my family would love me. There, however, was a teacher in the second grade whom we all loved and adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was a short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Each year, we had a hearing test, and as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it. We would repeat back things like, The sky is blue. Do you have new shoes? And I stood there waiting for her words, which I now believe that God must have put into her mouth. And those seven words changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. We don't realize the opportunity that we have to influence and impact people. When I lived in Watonga as youth minister, I got the the chance to be the assistant baseball coach. And there was a young man, his name was Jesse, and Jesse's parents were old enough to be his grandparents. In fact, I thought that was his grandparents when I first met them. Jesse came from a very, very poor home, had zero self-confidence, zero self-worth, His clothes were all either hand-me-down or probably donated, maybe cast off from some garage sale or something. But he could play a little baseball. He wasn't a star, but he was was okay. On the team was a, a young boy by the name of Mark. Mark's dad was a lawyer. Lived in, if not the biggest house in Watonga, one of the biggest houses in Watonga. And he was sharply dressed. He had a little cool going on. Their skill level was about the same. But I thought, what would have happened when these two boys were born if they would have been reversed in the cribs and Mark would have went home with Jesse's parents and Jesse would have went home with Mark's parents? How would they have turned out different? Would anything have been different about him? Very likely. Jesse grew up in an impoverished family and probably people treating him that way his entire life. Often in arrogance, we completely miss the opportunities to touch people in a loving, positive, life-changing way. And friends, I want you to listen very carefully. Prejudice is a sin, okay? We have to acknowledge that. Prejudice is a sin. Let's look at the the truth from God. When the church was founded in Acts chapter 2, it was basically, you know, a pure church, in the fact that there were only one group of people, the Jews. So you see, the Gentiles, Samaritans, and all the others did not come along till later. And the church was only for the Jewish people, God's chosen people. Well, come to find out, they weren't the only chosen people. They just happened to be the first. But even those people that had converted to Judaism were considered second-class believers, and these new believers weren't interested in sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with these Samaritans, these half-breeds, these Gentiles. We can pick up the story in Acts chapter 10. Beginning with verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God and with all his household gave alms generously to all the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God came and said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and says, What? What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter, That's one of the Lord's disciples. Go get him and bring him back. Now, we need to understand that there was a difference between Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a Roman soldier, a commander of at least 100 men. Peter, on the other hand, was a Jew, a Christian, an apostle in the church. But he was also considered by many to be an enemy of Rome because he represented the church. These men had never met each other, but Cornelius was a devout believer. He was a God-fearing man, but he wasn't saved yet. But he was doing righteous acts before God. Well, God was about to bring these guys together in only a way that God orchestrates that. Let's pick the story back up, verse 9, where Peter is being taught by God to open these hearts. And his door to the Gentiles. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending Let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This This happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at once back to heaven." You see, the Old Testament law gave specific instructions what the Jewish people could eat and what they couldn't eat. What was clean, what was unclean. But Peter was going to find out that this wasn't about what meat he could eat and what meat he couldn't eat. God was showing him that his gospel was for all people. You see, God was teaching Peter the value of of everyone. The value of all people. Verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? Now, is Peter a typical man or what? He hadn't met these guys. Three men that Cornelius had sent. He went down and said, I'm the guy you're looking for. What do you want? What do you need? What have you come for? Now, ladies, on the other hand, would have probably said, you know, hey, I've just baked some muffins. Let's make a cup of coffee. Let's sit down. Let's get to know each other. Tell me about your family. They had a chit-chatted for the afternoon. Now, now, I, I know you travel 30 miles on foot. Is there a reason that you you came to see me? Not Peter. What do you want? What have you come for? Let's pick up the story in verse 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean so when I was sent for you I came without objection I asked then why did you send for me see God's all about people he loves people whether they're Gentile or Jew and he calls all people to himself and it's not just an American call He calls all people to himself. And too often we are like my hometown. That we think the gospel is only for people that looks exactly like us. Peter had to learn a tough lesson that day that the gospel was for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone. Let's kind of wrap this up by some steps to reconciliation. How can we break down the the barriers of prejudice? How can we build bridges instead of walls? First, I think we have to be willing to take a good look at ourselves and have some tough conversations. We have to, to, to not just ignore it, but we have to acknowledge it. And have these tough conversations. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? Make any difference what color your skin is, whether your gender is male or female. He said, We're all one in Jesus Christ. Let me offer you four quick steps of what I would consider reconciliation. I know that this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a starting point. First, we have to confess our sin. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came before James, he was eating You see, this was clearly a matter of racism. Peter was completely comfortable associating eating and being in the homes of the Gentiles until the other Jews showed up. And then he began to draw back. He didn't want them to think badly of him. He was more concerned with his reputation than he was with relationships. And this is where we have to start. We have to confess our sin of racism. And you may be thinking, well, I don't have anything to confess. Well, that may be true, but I would just about venture to say that all of us, at some point in time, have allowed ourselves to be prejudiced. We prejudge someone based on stereotypes, the way they dress, the amount of money they have or don't have, the color of their skin, the language they speak. I would just about all of us, at some point in time, have prejudged someone. And maybe we need to go to a co-worker or a neighbor or a fellow Christian and apologize for the negative attitudes and behaviors. Next, we need to demonstrate compassion. Rather than just quickly jump to conclusions to judge, we need to try to see things from their perspective. Let me ask you this. What would it be like to be the only black family living in an all-white neighborhood? What would it be like to be a black person going to a mostly white church? How would it feel to be confined to a wheelchair? And most of the places that you go are not set up for wheelchairs. How would it feel to be in a country where you struggle to understand language or understand what people are trying to communicate with you? In 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first black man to play Major League Baseball, and he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but the fans were just absolutely brutal to him. They would throw things from the stands at him. If he happened to make a mistake, they booed him just without mercy. They were horrible to him. And it was obvious that the the fans just conveyed their hatred to him. And one afternoon, things were just going really bad, and the fans had just been merciless to him. He'd made a couple of mistakes, and he just couldn't get a break from anybody. And as the people in their stand were just booing and hollering at him, Pee Wee Reese, the Dodgers shortstop from Louisville, motioned with his hand to stop the game. And he jogged out to the outfield, and he put his arm around Jackie Robinson and he whispered something into his ear and the crowd became quiet the game resumed afterward Jackie Robinson said that embraced that embrace saved my career sometimes a kind word or a hand on the shoulder just ask how are you really doing it says I want to identify with you I want to understand what you're all about. I want to care about you. Third suggestion is focus on our similarities. We have to focus on what we're alike, not what we're unlike. We have to have some tough conversations at times. I love the story about the first grader who headed off to the to a new school right at the Height of the desegregation storm, and her mom met her at the bus stop at the end of the day, and she said, "Honey, how did it go today?" She says, "Well, I met a new friend." She goes, "Oh, you did?" She goes, "Yeah, that I sat next to that little black girl on the bus." Well, how did it go? She goes, "Well, we were both just scared, so we just held hands all day." I want to tell you, we're all created in the image of God, and if you would understand that Jesus, when he was born to a Jewish family had a lot darker skin than most of us in this room. We're all created in the image of God. And finally, we have to see that God values all people. God loves everybody. And we need to see people from God's perspective. A friend of mine, Steve May, he's a pastor of a church. He told uh, about a couple of years ago after the Christmas Eve service at his church that most everything was closed and his wife had forgot breakfast so they stopped at this little, little store and he ran in to get some donuts but it also was the same store that the Continental Trailways bus was their stop and when he pulled up there were about four young black men were outside this bus and they were smoking and they just didn't look very friendly and Steve's little boy said you know that looks a little intimidating and Steve was, yeah so he got out and locked the car and he went in to buy his donuts. He kind of, just kind of nodded at him and they didn't really acknowledge him. But when he came back out, he noticed a complete transformation had happened. His wife, Gail, had got out of the car and brought these four young men some homemade brownies and some goodies that some of the families in the church had given them on Christmas Eve. It said, hey, I thought you guys might get hungry on your trip and might like some homemade goodies. And now all of a sudden these guys were saying thank you and smiling and wishing him Merry Christmas. What happened? She acknowledged him as human beings. Back to the Remember the Titans. I love the the scene when they finally came together and after on the practice field where they had made a stop Julius the black defensive end, Gary Bertier the white defensive end went up and one of them shoved the other and he says strong side and he goes weak side and then they started shoving back and forth and they became one We, too, have to become one, not because we want to, because Scripture demands it. We cannot live with prejudice and racism in our hearts. It has no place for the Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lesson today. Thank you for teaching us what we need to know. Father, we know that you value all people, that you love all people, and Lord, it's my desire and prayer today that we become a church that embraces our differences, that embraces our different cultures or even our different languages, Lord, our different homes and our our place in, in society as far as our wealth or lack of it. Father, I just pray that We see people for who and what they are, because that's how you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, I learned a little song that probably you did too. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. I'm one of God's children and so are you.